So, uh, some of you are aware of the fact that I am about to turn the big four zero. Um, that is not a, a rumor, that is true. Um, my, my, my sister and I uh, will turn 40 on August 31st, so just two days away. Well, I had the opportunity to get away with my, my family for the last number of days, and I uh, had a good time with my wife and our kids and my sister and her family yesterday, as well as my parents. We had, we had a great time together. In fact, I'm sporting the shirt my parents gave me for my birthday. All right. That, that is Mickey Mouse on my shirt. Many, many times. Somebody asked me if, if, if there's like 40 of them. I, I don't know. I, I didn't count that, but I doubt it. But anyway, so, um, you know, I think about my, my sister and I, so, so we're about to turn 40. And um, when I think about my parents, my parents... They, they love Brooke and they love me. Now, Brooke and I are different. In fact, if Brooke were to be standing on the platform with me, many, many of you have met Brooke before, but, but if Brooke were on the platform with me, uh, you probably wouldn't guess that she was my sister, okay? You would say, wow, you guys don't look anything alike. And I would agree with you. I don't think we look anything alike either. Uh, she's female, I'm male. I mean, that's, that's one of the big differences, right? But anyways, we don't resemble each other, uh, but we're different, like, we, we have different perspectives on things. I mean, we agree. I mean, theology, I think we're pretty close. We're right, both conservative theologically. We're, we're just conservative in general. Uh, but we agree on a lot of things. But we may have some disagreements on some things, right? Different perspectives, different tastes, different opinions, the likes, dislikes, whatever. Um, but my parents want us to get along. Like, they, they want us to love each other. They want us to, to respect each other. And, you know, as brothers and sisters brother and sister growing up, I mean, there, there, were, there were moments, right? I mean, you know, there were moments where we had our, our conflicts, but generally I think we got along pretty well, and, and, and we still do to this day. But in the same way that my parents want my sister and I to get along and to treat each other properly, Rachel and I, and I shared this with you last week, Rachel and I want our three boys to treat each other rightly. Right? We want them to respect each other and, and be kind to each other. We don't want them to, to say horrible things to each other and to hit each other and to mistreat each other. They're different, right? Our, our three boys are different. They have their own personality. They like certain things, dislike other things, right? They don't think exactly the same. They're not like clones of each other. But we want them to treat each other with respect. We want them to love each other. We, we care as parents about how they treat each other. Well, in the same way... God cares about how we, his children, treat each other. Now, as, as, as a family of faith, right, so those of us who put our trust in Christ, we are God's children, right? There's diversity amongst us, right? We don't all think the same way. We don't all like the same things. We don't all go to the same places when it's time to go and eat a meal at a restaurant, Right? When we go to the grocery store, we don't all load the same things into our grocery carts. Right? We don't all watch the same kinds of things on television. We don't all spend our money on everything exactly the same. Right? There are things that differentiate us from each other. Now, there's a lot of things that we have in common, but, but regardless of our differences, God wants us to love each other. God wants us to care about each other. God cares about how we treat each other in the faith family. And of course, God cares about how we treat people outside of the faith family. But, but specifically, this is a topic that we've been talking about. Like, this isn't like an introduction. Like, we have been having this conversation as we've been in Romans over the last number of weeks. Like, how is it that we're to treat each other? Now, as we've come to this part of Romans, this is very practical material. So once we got to chapter 12, 
it became very practical. We're talking about where the rubber meets the road, how we're living our lives. And so the conversation is going to continue now. And the question that I just want us to generally pose is, is how should we treat other believers? How should we treat other believers? Now, we were introduced to this, um, this specific issue that's being discussed right now um, as we began chapter 14. I'll remind you in chapter 14, uh, at, at the, the, the first part of it, uh, th- there was evidently some disagreement over what one could eat. Right? You see that at verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. And Paul's encouragement to both parties is this. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So, if you're the one who feels you have the freedom to eat, don't despise the one who abstains from eating. And if you're the one who abstains from eating, don't judge the one who believes they have the freedom to eat. And so here, as we continue in this 14th chapter, we're, we're, we're still asking this question, how is it we're to treat other believers in Christ? So let's, let's just pick up with verse 13 and read the second half of this chapter together. Paul writes, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray together. Father, may you take your word and may you teach us. And God, may you encourage us. God, may we hear from you, and God, may you remove any distractions that may prevent us from hearing from you. God, I pray you'd speak through me in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Let me me welcome our first through fifth graders to the service. This is the fifth Sunday, all right? This only happens, I believe, four times in a calendar year, but the fifth Sunday, uh, we welcome the first through fifth graders into the, well, 52 Sundays out of the year, they're welcome in the worship center, but on this specific Sunday, the fifth Sunday, we don't offer children's ministry at 1030 uh, for first through fifth graders. So uh, parents, it's okay. If they're squirmy, it's it's all right. All right. So hopefully they got one of those little kid packs or little activity packs and maybe maybe they'll have some uh, insights from the sermon to share with you later, I hope, right? 
Anyways, all right, so how, how should we treat other believers? Well, notice here he says, um, verse 13, therefore. So the, the word therefore, what's important is that we understand what, what precedes that word, okay? So, so the second half of chapter 14 and the first half of chapter 14 need to be held together because it's, it's the same kind of general topic or the same kind of general idea that's being considered here. So in light of chapter 14 verses 1 through 12 that we looked at last week in light of the fact that every last one of us is one day going to stand before the true judge one of us every one of us is going to stand before our creator and we're going to give an account did you know that all of us so in light of the fact that we're all going to stand before the true judge we must do the following and so paul urges the proper treatment of one another in the church he uses corporate language notice what he says let us let us. So that includes Paul, right? It includes all of those in his audience, whether they are Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians, whether they are new to the Christian faith or they've been believers for quite some time, right? So within our congregation, that includes all of us, me, you, if you're a new believer, if you've been a believer for a long time, let us. And then he says what we're to do. So all of us who are in Christ are to give consideration to how we treat one another. Now, Paul states what they are not to do. Notice what he says. Don't pass judgment and don't place stumbling blocks. All right, so don't pass judgment and don't place stumbling blocks. And notice what he says. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So in other words, if this is what you've been doing, if you have been passing judgment on your brother or sister in Christ, stop doing it. Don't do it anymore. And so in these following verses, we see the disagreement amongst the believers involves the consumption of food. And so what does Paul say in response? Well, Paul is clear that all food is clean. Now, Paul's a Jew, and he says that all food is clean. Look at verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So Paul's clear. Nothing is unclean in itself. Right? So no food is unclean, but it is unclean if you think it is unclean. So in other words, if in your mind you believe something to be unclean, you believe something to be wrong, you believe something to be inappropriate, well then for you, it is unclean. Now the question here is, why would someone think that certain foods are unclean? Like why would someone think that? Well, one answer to that is the Old Testament. Right, the Old Testament. Like, why would someone think that certain foods are unclean? The Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, God gave a law to his people, the nation of Israel. Right, God raised up a man by the name of Moses. He was the leader who brought God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And God established his covenant with them. He gave them a law. And in that law, God made a distinction between foods that were clean Foods that were unclean, foods they could consume, and foods that they could not consume. And so in Leviticus chapter 7, the Lord speaks to Moses, and, and, and Moses is to speak to the people of Israel, and 
and there to be told, you shall eat no fat. And then later it says, you shall eat no blood. Well then, four chapters later in Leviticus chapter 11, there's a description of clean and unclean animals. Animals that may be eaten and animals that may not be eaten. So that makes a lot of sense, right? So, so this would certainly be a reason why some people would think certain foods are unclean because of their understanding of the Old Testament law that God gave to his people Israel. Well, another reason why someone might think a food is unclean is if that food was used in the worship of false gods, if that food was offered to idols. Now, this is the issue that Paul addresses in his letter, 1 Corinthians. So as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he specifically addressed the issue of food that had been offered to idols, and he talks about the consumption of such food. So what's going on here? Because I pointed this out last week, in Romans 14, Paul makes no mention of of the consumption of food tied to idol worship. In fact, here in Romans 14, he says nothing about food offered to idols. So in this text, what's going on? Well, it seems to be clear that this is not a simple dietary disagreement. Right? This isn't just disagreeing about, hey, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? Or, hey, what are we going to have for, for lunch? Right? This is not just a simple disagreement about food. Because look what Paul says in verses 15 and 16. He says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So here's a few questions. Why would someone be grieved by what someone else eats? How could what a person eats destroy someone for whom Christ died? I mean, that's serious business. I mean, Paul says it, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. It seems to me that there's a religious component to what Paul is addressing here, right? This is not just food we're talking about. We're talking about something of a religious nature. We're, we're talking about a spiritual matter here. Now, as I looked at this text and I tried to, and look, I'm just going to be really, really clear with you on this. I, there are times where I read God's word and I'll read a text over and over and over and over again. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on here, right? And, and part of it is, is, is my not knowing, okay, what's happening in that audience? Because when you think about a letter, and, and I've, the analogy that I think I've, that I've learned is that it's, it's like you're listening to one side of a telephone conversation, right? When you think about a New Testament letter, right? As Paul is writing to the, to the believers in the church in Rome, right? There's things going on amongst the believers in Rome that has occasioned Paul to write the letter he wrote, right? And so it's like listening to one side of the telephone conversation where we're seeing Paul, what he's saying, but we may not necessarily know everything that's going on here. There's clearly a dispute of some sort. There's clearly a difference of opinion of some sort but all the details we may not have every little detail that we might want to have but please understand we have everything that we need and everything that God intended us to have okay because the general principle is is, is clear here but as I was looking at this text 
I wanted to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 10. Right now, there's similar language that's being used. Both letters are written by the same person. Paul wrote Romans, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul very specifically, very specifically is addressing food that has been offered to idols. In fact, I want to read three verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Listen to what Paul says. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Now I want you to notice the similarity with 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11, and here in Romans chapter 14, verse 15, because in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of the weak person being destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. And here in Romans chapter 14, verse 15, he says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for him, uh, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, I want to be clear. I've already said it, but let me say it again. Paul does not mention food offered to idols in Romans chapter 14. All right, so... so we can't take what he says in 1 Corinthians and just impose it on Romans 14 and say it's the exact same situation, right? E even, though I, even though I might be inclined to do that, um, let, let's not do that. In fact, after reading other commentators, others on this text, um, according to what I've saw, see, seen from them, it appears there's more support for the idea that this is an issue involving the Old Testament law addressing clean and unclean foods okay so that first reason i gave you why would somebody think that something is unclean well because the old testament law right look at the law of moses the law of moses differentiated between clean and unclean foods foods that could be eaten foods that could not be eaten thomas schreiner says this he writes the theory that the weak right and the weak would be those who don't feel they have the freedom to eat certain foods the theory that the weak were primarily Jewish Christians and that the strong were primarily Gentile believers is the most plausible. Now, that makes sense, him writing that, because you think about it, the Gentiles would not have necessarily had that Old Testament law, whereas the Jews would have. And so it makes sense that, that they might have had an issue with this. Thomas Schreiner continues, he says, the main issue that surfaced was how Jewish and Gentile Christians could enjoy table fellowship together since they differed on which words, on which foods were permissible. Now for us, in our contemporary context, we may look at a situation like this and say, what's the big deal? Right? I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, we might be like Paul, and we might be saying, hey, all foods are clean. What's, what's the problem here? And we might not think it's that big of a deal, right? That might even account for why I wanted to, to kind of look at 1 Corinthians and say, well, well, maybe what's going on here is maybe there's, some, maybe there's food being offered to idols, even though Paul doesn't say it. Well, Thomas Schreiner, I think, has a good word to, for this. Listen to what he says. He says, we must beware of concluding that if the conflict seems of little consequence to us, that the dispute is over a minor matter. By making such a judgment, we impose our own cultural values and biases onto the text. What a great reminder. 
right? That when we approach God's word, it's like don't, don't take your contemporary perspective and your contemporary values and, and your contemporary context and embed it or, or impose it rather upon this first century text. No, what should we do? We should try to understand what's going on here. And you think about it, how long has the Christian faith been around when Paul wrote this letter to believers in Rome? Not very long. Not very long at all. And so another commentator helped me understand this idea of tradition. I mean, do we have traditions? Anybody have traditions? I mean, you think about it, it you know, and, and this was helpful to me in reading another commentator in understanding this, is that we have traditions that we've held to, and those traditions can be things that, that we don't easily let go of. So if you think, if you were raised as a, as, as a Jew, right, to honor the, 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 the Torah, to honor the, the Old Testament law, right, to honor those food laws, and then all of a sudden, you're introduced to Christ, you hear the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, that, that he died on a cross for your sins, and God raised him from the dead, and, and now you become a believer, and you understand this idea of the new covenant and the freedom you have in Christ. It might be hard to let go of some of those traditions. So maybe you hold on to some of those things that you were taught so we don't want to grieve or destroy our brothers and sisters in Christ so what should we do toward one another well Paul is clear we should walk in love notice again verse 15 he says if your brother is grieved by what you eat you are no longer walking in love so if you eat something that grieves your brother then you're not walking in love toward your brother here, there is to be a consideration for other believers and not just yourself. Church, we have freedom in Christ. We have incredible freedom in Christ. But we don't have the freedom to exercise our freedom in a way that harms our brother or our sister in Christ. Paul wants us to know what's really important. And what is it? Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So through Christ, we're a part of God's family and God's kingdom. And so rather than being focused on the consumption of food and drink, we should give our attention to righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. As members of God's family, as those committed to the advancement of God's kingdom, our first priority should not be the exercising of our own personal freedoms. Instead, we should give our attention to righteousness and peace and joy. And then Paul says in verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So we should seek to serve Christ in all of life, even the decisions we make related to the consumption of food. So what's important? The kingdom of God. And what does that consist of? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What should we pursue? Look at verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So what is it we should be going after? What is it that we should be pursuing? He says it. Peace and mutual upbuilding. So rather than insisting on our individual rights and our own prerogatives, rather we should seek for what is going to bring about peace, what is going to encourage and build up and edify our brothers and sisters in Christ. Follow with me into verses 20 and 21. He says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. Okay, so Paul is very clear where he stands. 
Right? Again, Paul's a Jew. Right? Paul was, Paul was taught the Old Testament law, and yet Paul understands that in Christ he has freedom. Right? He is no longer bound by those Old Testament food laws. And so Paul says, as a Jew, as a believer in Christ, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So again, it's like this, how, how, do, how do we treat other believers? How, how do we treat those who have a difference of viewpoint, these so-called weaker believers? How, how do we relate to them? Listen to what Paul says. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Again, if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Then 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So in both 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and here in Romans chapter 14, Paul is instructing his audience not to allow their consumption of food to become a stumbling block to another believer. Now, we've already said that the Corinthians text explicitly mentions food offered to an idol, but here in Romans, it doesn't, but the principle is the same. Maybe all the details aren't the same, maybe the circumstances aren't the same, but the principle is the same. We should show care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like we should care about the spiritual well-being of those in the household of faith. So yes, I have freedom in Christ and yes, you have freedom in Christ. But I should not exercise my freedom with no regard for you and you should not exercise your freedom with no regard for your fellow brother or sister in Christ. Right? We're to care about each other, right? God cares about how we treat each other. He cares about how we react to each other. Again, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, verse 3, Paul says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So wherever you are, don't mistreat the other. Verse 22, Paul says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Now, here's my thought on this. I, I think there's some things that you may be able to do in private or you may be able to do in some contexts that you don't do in other contexts. Right? There may be some things that you do outside of the presence of this so-called weaker believer that you would not do in the presence of that person. Now, of course, nothing that is sinful, right? We, we never have the freedom to sin, okay? We never have the freedom to do that which is contrary to God's law, right? We're talking about matters of opinion, right? We're not talking about matters of sin. Douglas Moo, he writes this, the need to limit the expression of our liberty out of love for God and fellow believers is the key principle in this chapter. Our culture insists on rights and it is easy for Christians to bring that attitude into the church. But the spiritual health of the body is far more important than our rights. 
The freedom God has purchased for us through his son is a precious gift, but it is a freedom to live as God wants, not as we want. And you think about that. I mean, we are, as individualistic people, we are pretty concerned about ourselves. I'll include myself in that. Right? I mean, it's easy to be concerned about ourselves, but, but we have to say, well, hang on a second. Is it more important for me to assert my freedom, or is the health of the body of Christ more important? Is the good of the body more important? Tony Marita, he writes this, throughout the history of the church, there have been unnecessary divisions over things like the theater, cosmetics, playing cards, clothing, food and drink, dancing, sports, and more. We all need a good dose of Romans 14. The often quoted line, Attributed to a number of people is a good one to ponder and apply in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. If we divide over non-essentials, tearing down the work of God, then we are no different from the world. Let's learn to differentiate between matters of biblical command and matters of personal preference. And in all things, let's walk in love and build up our brothers and sisters for whom Christ died and whom Christ accepts, end quote. You know, one of the things he points out here, we talked about last week, is, is this idea that, look, we are still supposed to agree with what the Bible says when it comes to sin, right? So there's, 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 there's one side of it where there are opinions or there are disputable matters, but then there's the other side of it where the Bible clearly defines things as being wrong. If the Bible is clear that something is wrong, then we need to be clear that it is wrong, Right? If the Bible is clear that something is right, then we need to be clear that something is right. And so if, and I'll use this example again, I'll use myself as the example. If you see me wandering from the faith, if you see me acting in ways that are contrary to the way a man of God should act, if you see me speaking in ways that are contrary to the way that the Lord would have me to speak, if you see me doing things that are wrong, you don't just shrug your shoulders and say, oh well, he's got the freedom to do it. No, you should lovingly come alongside me and say, Luke, it's wrong. Like what you're saying is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. The way you're acting is wrong. Your lack of repentance is wrong. If something is defined in the scripture as being wrong, it's wrong. And we don't need to be squishy about that and we don't need to compromise on that. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about matters of opinion. Paul is, is talking about areas where we can disagree. Now, he is talking about an area of sin in that we should not do the kind of judging that he is here prohibiting. He is talking about sin when he's saying we are not to despise one another. Paul wrote to the believers in Galatia. This is what he said in Galatians chapter 5. He says, you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not your, use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are free in Christ. Right? Remember Romans chapter 8 verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? We are not condemned, we have incredible freedom, but Paul says to the believers in Galatia, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
And then he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or right here in Romans, if you just go back to chapter 13, beginning with verse 8, Paul says in Romans 13, verse 8 and following, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Remember I told you, we've been talking about this for a little while, how we treat each other. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul cares about how the believers in Rome treat each other. God cares about how the believers in Rome treat each other. God cares about how we at first NSB treat each other. He cares about how we talk about each other and how we talk to each other. He cares about the way we, we, we relate to one another. He doesn't want us passing judgment on one another. He doesn't want us placing stumbling blocks in front of one another, causing each other to, to stumble and to fall. And then the last verse, verse 23, he says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if, if you don't believe you have the freedom to eat, if you, don't have the, if you don't believe you have the freedom to do something, then don't do it. Because he says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you can read it. On your own, but I'll just read one verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's in this context of food and this issue of food that's been offered to idols. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31, here's what Paul says. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you eat. Whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. You know, we think about like all the things we do. Like with all the things we do in, in, in our everyday lives, all the things we do in relationship with one another. And if we just were to ask ourselves, hey, is what I'm doing, is it bringing glory to God? Am I glorifying God in what I'm doing? Am I glorifying God in, in, in the way I'm talking right now? Am I glorifying God in the decisions that I'm making today? Am I glorifying God in my attitude toward that fellow believer? In, in the way I'm treating that fellow believer? Am I glorifying God? Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So how do we walk in love? We treat each other the way God wants us to treat each other. We treat each other with respect, with love, with kindness. We extend mercy, we extend forgiveness. We don't assume the worst about each other. Right? And so maybe you don't have the same perspective I have on something. So I could berate you. And I could beat you down and I could say, hey, you need to get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Just go ahead and do it. Or I could 
show compassion and kindness and generosity. So church, let's decide to walk in love today. Let's decide to not pass judgment on one another. And let's decide to never put a stumbling block in the path of another believer. Let's celebrate the freedom we have in Christ. Let's live as those who are free in Christ. But let's not do it without careful consideration for one another as those for whom Christ died.